0: As you watch this teaching, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. We're just sitting here having fun talking about what does the word anomaly mean? Because our subject tonight, was the Church of Corinth a pattern to be repeated, or was it an anomaly? And Paul, what is an
1: Anomaly. An anomaly will be something that you can't intentionally repeat, an exception to the rule. Something like a sixth toe. That's something that not everyone has, and it's not really the norm.
0: All right, since you brought that subject up, I have to tell you something.
1: You have six
2: toes. No,
0: but my grandmother did. (laughs) My grandmother had six toes on both foot, and my cousin had an extra toe on the top of his foot.
2: Yeah, I've seen that.
0: Okay. Okay, that is not something you would expect to be repeated. That is an anomaly. A pattern is something that you would expect to be repeated. So the Corinthian church was overflowing with spiritual gifts. So the question is is that the pattern that we should expect, or was that something that probably will not be repeated? Was it a pattern, or was it an anomaly? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But hey, be sure to get the download. And tonight is the fir- Last night, we're making it available this week. And today is the last day we're teaching in the regular TV program. Why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can get it at renner.org. And we're also offering you the brand new series. If you have the old one, it's not the same. This is a revised edition, 10 parts. It is just jam-packed with teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're offering you the book. By the same name, which Paul Renner has not read, but as promised, Mr. Renner, this is Friday, I'm giving you this book. Yes. And as your bishop and
1: as your daddy. Yes. I'm requiring you to read it. Bishop, dad, mentor, boss, friend, father, thank you. (laughs) That's who we are. Anyway, Paul, read this. You you will love this. All
0: right. Get your pen ready because you're going to want to underline this book. It's... Give me, give me, give me. Loaded. Okay, that's All right,
1: I'm going to be on an airplane soon, so this is my next reading project. Okay, do you have Tony Cook's book? I do not. I'll give you this one too. Oh, very good. This book is
0: so good. It's called Miracles in the Supernatural Throughout Church History. Listen to the back of it. Listen to this. In this book, Tony Cook uncovers the power of God revealed through the centuries. These accounts will energize you, teach you, and bolster your faith to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I devoured this book. And Paul, I'll give you, this is my copy, I'll give you a different copy after home group tonight. You are very kind. But please read it. Thank you. You'll be amazed. You will totally be amazed. How could anybody think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped with the death of the apostles? History is loaded with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it's all in this book. Anyway, hey guys, welcome to Home Group. Hey Denise.
2: Hi Rick. Welcome, Home Group. Has this been an awesome week together?
0: It I've, has. I
2: really loved it. What's
0: been your favorite part?
2: Well, I love hearing what Paul has to say. Paul Renner? Mm-hmm. Me too. I do. My
1: favorite part was our unfinished conversation on Monday about what does it mean to be very spiritual. Well, don't go there because that's a different conversation.
0: Paul and I and Denise, we have different opinions about what it means to be spiritual. But it's okay. We have room for diversity. Amen?
2: Yes, and we profit with
0: all. Yes, we do. (laughs) But tonight we're going to talk about were the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Corinth a pattern, or were they an anomaly? And I want to quote again what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Can I tell you something? That's amazing to me that he said that to the Corinthians. Because they knew more about spiritual gifts than anybody. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7, he said, you come behind in no spiritual gift in verse 5 he said you are enriched with spiritual gifts the greek word ploutizō filthy stinking rich so much wealth you can't even tabulate it he says in utterance gifts in knowledge gifts they were just like teeming with spiritual gifts and he said to the church that really knew it all i don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts which means god must want us to really know a lot about spiritual gifts but, let me ask you some questions. Do you believe in water baptism? Yes. Do you believe in communion? Yes, you do. All right. I know where this is going. Okay. Well, it's going to go somewhere, which for me is very logical. I told you in the beginning that I approached this subject of spiritual gifts logically, because that's the way I think. All right, listen to this. For 2,000 years, the church has practiced water baptism and communion. And in fact, we believe in water baptism so much that we would just defend it if we had to. People love communion so much they would just defend it with their blood if they have to. And people who never go to church always come when there is communion. We always know when we serve communion, that's going to be our biggest attendance in Moscow. People believe in baptism. People believe in communion.
1: And people argue over how they've been baptized or when they've been baptized. They do. But now listen to this. If you take the subject of water
0: baptism, based on the Bible, in the whole New Testament, listen to this. There are 16 passages... With 23, 23, did you hear that number? 23 references that address the subject of water baptism. Here they are. Matthew three thirteen to 16. Matthew 28, 19. Mark sixteen sixteen, Luke 3, 7. Luke 3, 21. Luke seven twenty-nine, John 4, 1. Acts two thirty-eight 38 to 41. Acts 8, 12. Acts 8, 13. Acts 8, 38, 39, Acts nine, eighteen, 18, Acts 10, 48, Acts 16, 15, Acts 16, 53, Acts 19, 5, Romans 6, 3 to 5, 1 Corinthians one, fifteen to 17, 1 Corinthians fifteen, twenty-nine, Ephesians 4, 5. Okay, that might sound like a lot of verses. It's not. It is 16 passages that refers to water baptism 23 times. And based on those 23 references to water baptism, the church has dogmatically taught water baptism for 2,000 years as a requirement, not for salvation, but for every true disciple of Jesus. And no one would question the importance of water baptism. But hold on. In all of those verses... There is not one place that tells us how to conduct water baptism. Nothing. You would think something that important would at least tell us how to do it. So some people believe in full immersion. That's what we believe in. Some people believe in sprinkling. Some people even think they have historical biblical reasons to teach sprinkling. We believe in full immersion. But the truth is, the New Testament does not tell us how to baptize. It just does not. But yet is so very important. And it's only mentioned 23 times in the New Testament. Okay, hold on. What about communion? All right, here we go. Communion in the whole New Testament is mentioned in 7 passages. Twenty-eight references. Here they are: Matthew twenty-six, twenty-six to twenty-nine; Mark fourteen, twenty-two to twenty-five; Luke twenty-two, nineteen and Luke twenty-two, twenty; John thirteen, two; Acts two, forty-two; First Corinthians ten, sixteen to twenty-one; First Corinthians eleven, twenty-three to thirty-three. That's it. That's it. Seven passages, twenty-eight references, and the church for 2,000 years, has dogmatically preached communion. And in all of those references, nowhere is there any instruction on how communion is supposed to be served. Mm-hmm. So there's different traditions. Baptist Church does it one way, the Episcopal Church does it another way, Pentecostal Church does it another way, everybody seems they do it a different way.
1: There's no instruction in the Bible about how to do it. Just about everywhere there's bread and wine or bread and juice, right? But that's just about that's just
0: about it. That's it. we know the elements, but how you serve them, there's many different traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, Denise and I grew up in our wonderful church where we had, you know, little crackers and we had Grape juice. Then we found out as we grew up, the other people used wine. We never knew that. Wine, I mean, we didn't drink at all. Then there's the Catholic church where only the priest can give you the wafer. Then we moved to the Russian part of the world. We're in the Pentecostal church. Everybody drank the juice, which was wine, and usually it was Moldavian wine. That was the tradition out of one cup. Mm-hmm. Everybody used the same cup. Even we did, because that was the tradition when we moved here. We gave everybody a napkin, and everybody, Denise, used the same napkin. Think how filthy that was.
2: Honey, I was thankful for that wine. I thought, <laughs> Lord, if there are any germs there, I could just believe you to kill them and the wine kill them.
0: You, there were like 800 <laughs> to 1,000 people uh, in one cup. Uh. It took a little while. Oh, my gosh. Every time we came to communion which was once a month I would think oh Jesus please help me stand there my legs cuz it took about 2 hours to serve communion
2: Christ Paul people a question? passing
0: that cup yep. with the same linen napkin yep. everybody would wipe it and pass it on yep. and the same you yep. pass the cup Yeah, the, and the napkin What was sanitary about anything I know anything?
2: I know Paul I want to know you were about mm, 9 10 11 12 what do you think about that?
1: I didn't think very much about it because that, for me, was my church tradition. That's how I grew up. Uh-huh. So my first memory of taking communion, of course, would probably be using the little cups. But right after that, sharing the cups. So sharing the cup in communion does not seem strange to me. It actually seems kind of normal. And if we were to do it again, it would be kind of like returning to tradition. But when we moved to Moscow, we tried to do that in Moscow. And it freaked people out. Well, some churches
0: were doing it in Moscow, but those were the more Pentecostal traditional churches. But there was a lot of tuberculosis when we first moved to Moscow. And I remember the first time we ever served communion with one cup, people were totally freaked out because they were afraid they would pick up
1: tuberculosis. Do you remember that? And if you think it's something way of the past, just recently there were entire sections of Pentecostal churches that got covid because they were still taking communion with one cup or they were sharing cups like five rows got the same cup and the next five rows got a different cup. There were entire sections of churches recently. that got COVID because of this tradition.
0: Okay, and there's something else too. If you're the pastor of the church, you're supposed to drink last. (laughs) I remember thinking, Jesus, there's so much slobber in that cup. (laughs) 800 people have drank out of that cup. Jesus, curse Please curse everything in that cup. That was the tradition. Well, the point is, the Bible does not tell you how to take communion. It no. just tells you to take it.
2: Yeah, it does.
0: So, here we go. 23 references about water baptism and not a single verse to tell you how to do it. That's why people argue about how it should be done. Mm-hmm. They just know they're supposed to do it. Okay? 28 references to communion and no instruction on how you're supposed to do it. But yet, for 2,000 years, we have done it. We have defended it. We have fought over it. We will defend it. We will fight over water baptism and over communion. All right. Hold on. Okay, let's be logical. How many verses in the New Testament address the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are you ready for this? 103. One hundred and three verses. That's a pretty radical difference. Twenty-three references about water baptism. Twenty-eight references about communion. And a hundred and three verses about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What does that say? They must be pretty important. And... Not only are there 103 verses about various gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from verse 1 all the way to verse 40 is explicit instructions about how, about how. There is much more information about the gifts of the Holy Spirit than there is about water baptism or communion, and yet people say, well, that's optional. What is logical about that? There is nothing logical about that.
2: Rick, I just heard from the Holy Spirit, somebody for the first time, you opened your mind and you said, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to be baptized. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I am open. And we want you to just call, let us know, and you can receive right then the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in other tongues.
0: All right, listen to this. The New Testament, I'm just going to read you from my notes, which, by the way, the notes are all in the study guide that you can download for free. The New Testament addresses the subject of spiritual gifts four times more than water baptism, almost four times more than communion. This should speak volumes about the importance that God puts on spiritual gifts. We would never question whether we were to practice water baptism, never question whether we were to practice communion. And yet people say, well, I just don't know if we really need spiritual gifts. Well, the Bible only talks to us about it four times more than water baptism and four times more than communion. And if you just looked at this objectively, Logically, comparing verses, it must mean God thinks this is pretty important. And you have to understand, too, that God is really a good steward. God wastes nothing. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste space. And if the gifts of the Holy Spirit were going to end when the apostles died, or if God thought that they were optional, Why would God allocate so much space in the Bible to this subject? He would not waste our time, and he would not waste our space. God's a good steward, even if space in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if God gave that much space to it, isn't it reasonable, logical, that it must be pretty important? And God gave instructions. You don't have to debate about what's right and wrong. The instructions
1: are right there. Paul. It's wonderful. And there are so many other issues that we would like to know more about, Uh, you know, about the early church, but we don't know so many things about the earlier church from the Bible. We can learn some things about the earlier church from historical writings or from oral tradition, but on the subject of the Holy Spirit, it's in the Bible for us so that we can read and learn about it. And in 1 Corinthians 1-7, (laughs)
0: Apostle <laughs> Paul said absolutely, indisputably that they are to be in manifestation until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the word till until in Greek means right up until they didn't die, they didn't pass away, and if they did, God would not have committed so much real estate in the New Testament to this subject denise
2: well i'm thinking about what you just. You just said what verse did you say that was one seven so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ that's enough right there it is and that and the the gifts they they are part of the holy spirit there's something he wants to give, so of course he wants us to know about them, operate in them, uh, earnestly seek them, because it's going to empower us for these last days.
0: But, honey, the religious thinking says, well, it's wrong to seek spiritual gifts. But, honey, that is such crazy thinking. Yeah. I mean, even people that say that, if they would stop and listen to what they're thinking, saying, it's, it's nonsense. Rick— Why would it be wrong to seek anything— that comes from God. Do you remember this? Don't, don't seek
2: the gift, seek the giver. Do you remember those words?
0: I do. And you know what? We're supposed to seek the giver and the gifts.
2: Absolutely seek him because he says if you draw near to him, he's going to not draw near to you. That's but right. it also says seek the gifts.
0: Well, let's go there. First Corinthians 14.1. We covered this yesterday, but I want to look at it one more time as we wrap up the week. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says, Follow follow after love and desire, desire spiritual gifts. So let me ask you, are we supposed to follow after love? Yes. Do you really believe that? Yes. Denise, do you really believe that? I do. Well, the second part of the verse says desire spiritual gifts. It's in the same verse. So if you believe the first part, doesn't that mean you're supposed to believe the second part? If you're committed to do the first part, why would anybody say, well, I just don't know if we should speak, should desire spiritual gifts? What does that verse say? It says desire spiritual gifts. Why would you even question that? What silly religious thinking? I don't mean to offend you. I just kind of want to shake you up a little bit. It says desire spiritual gifts. And if you say, well, you're not supposed to desire spiritual gifts. You, my friend, are contrary to the Bible. Quit saying that. You need to get into agreement. If you don't like it, you're wrong. You need to renew your mind to what the Bible says. Now, I have to tell you the truth. I tend to be kind of a heady person. That's why I can talk about the Western world. I tend to gravitate toward my brain. And I can just like sit there and just be happy as can be. And I have to make a determination very intentionally. I'm going to desire spiritual gifts. God gave them. We need them. Rick Renner, we need more than brain activity in the church. We have to have the supernatural. And it's hard for me sometimes. It's not hard for Denise. But sometimes it's hard for me to accommodate them. But the point of desiring means you have to do something intentionally to make room for them. You have to desire them. And the word desire, the Greek word deleo, listen to what it means. I shared with this earlier, but I'm going to share it again. It pictures enthusiasm, fervor, passion, devotion. An eagerness to achieve or to possess something. To be fervently boiling with zealousness for an object desired. An intense desire that causes one to seek something until he obtains it. So when Paul says desire spiritual gifts, he was saying seek the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit until They are obtained. And if you don't do something intentionally to make room for them and to obtain them, they will fall silent. Not because the Holy Spirit's silent, but because your head and your flesh will go another direction. That's just the way it is. You have to do all things unto edifying. Again, that word edifying, an architectural term, which pictures intentionally removing the walls, Expanding to accommodate more space. You have to say, I'm going to remove all my barriers. And you can do it decently and in order like we saw last night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And make room for the Holy Spirit. And if you do, if you make a big platform for Him, He'll move on top of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the manifestation of the Spirit, Second Corinthians 12, 7, will become conspicuous in your life and in your church. Denise.
2: Well, and He he will bring only good. You don't have to be afraid of Him or what He wants to do because when His presence comes, it contains everything good and beneficial. Amen. As we open up to Him, we open up to everything good and beneficial.
1: Amen. Paul, amen. Right now as we're preparing for our next Friday event at church where we get together for prayer, In Moscow. In Moscow, yeah. I'm thinking about how we can do things different. And I often think about how we can do things different. But this time it's more intentional. I want to do things different because sometimes we get used to the way we're doing things. And we begin to move from part one to part two to part three. And it seems like we're there to worship. It seems like we're there for the supernatural to happen but if we get used to the way things are set up, sometimes I just like to change things around so that we, we, we stay flexible. Please stay, that's what I want to say, please stay flexible. And sometimes we have to do some things intentionally to stay flexible. Well, the flesh can very easily become religious and
0: traditional. That's just the way the flesh goes. And you have to really work to fight against that. Mm-hmm. You do.
2: Well, and but, Rick, you know, as you were saying, you can tend to be heady. Well, and then not move in the Holy Spirit, not make room for him. Well, the same thing for the person who's emotional. They can get all emotional, but it doesn't let the Holy Spirit operate. So it's the flesh that's against the work of the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, and praise God for pastors because they're the head of the house. And we need to believe God that the pastor will be directed on what is right for his congregation. Mm -hmm. But hey, get the download that is free, Why We Need the Gifts of the Holy Spirit, and get the whole series and the book that goes with it. It's all at renner.org. And remember Tony Cook's marvelous book called Miracles and the Supernatural, but we're out of time. Oh, Paul, what is that, Paul? Thank
1: you for your book, Why We Need the Gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I will be reading it very soon. Thank you, Mr. Renner. But Father, we thank you so much. It's been so good. Lord,
0: we're looking forward to coming back on Monday, and we pray that you bless our home group members, give them an awesome weekend and a good time at church, and that they sleep well tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 See you Monday. Bye-bye. If that teaching helped you, would you please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.